most people since making methods and procedures have totally broken, right? If you, if you did quote the right things 30, 40 years ago, shit went great. Even 10 years ago, if you did the right things, you can, you can make it work. Now, if you do the right things, it's a counter indicator. You're not going to fucking make it. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep There in Watson. My guest today is returning to the show for the second time. Tucker Max is the best-selling author of the book, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. He is also a successful entrepreneur, founder of Scribe Media, which has helped authors write more than 1,000 books. But in today's video, we talk a little bit about the macro environment. Tucker was recently a guest on a podcast called The Doomer Optimist Show. We get into the definition of Doomer Optimism, how Tucker is preparing himself and his family, and some other important considerations about the coming years ahead. Definitely a different episode than what you're used to if you're a regular listener, but I guarantee that it is going to make you think whether you agree with it or not. Here is my conversation with Tucker Max. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Tucker, welcome back to the pod, man. I'm excited to be talking with you. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. So last we spoke, uh, I I don't know if you had just rebranded the company or or quite when, but uh, Book in the Box became Scribe Media. It was this really powerful service for helping great ideas get turned into a book on the back of all your success as a best-selling author yourself. And, uh, it, you know, it seemed, it seemed really exciting. You know, you, you listen to entrepreneurs all the time and when they're in the midst of the ascent, there is, you know, a lot of energy in it, and it can be pretty all encompassing to just continue growing that project. So maybe we can just kick off here a little bit of just catch up as to, I know you, you replaced yourself with a new CEO, uh, but what other kind of projects or directions have you felt yourself pulled in since Scribe has taken off? Yeah. So December of last year, so like a month ago, I officially exited Scribe. Like I left. The That would have been about seven and a half years from the founding. Uh, we literally just published this week our thousandth book, or Scribe did, because it's not a we anymore. Um, uh, it's a, the, the company is 90, like 96 full-time, 320 part-time or freelance you know, a CEO is a badass that runs it, a great exec team. So it, it like amazing offices in Austin. Like it's in a, it's like a, it's a mature company. And it was, it got to the point where like, I just wasn't a huge value add anymore. Uh, mainly cause I don't, it got, it got big, man. And we have, I don't know, 1200 books in process. It's like a, it's a company. And those aren't my, uh, uh my strengths are not working within, um, uh, structured hierarchies like that. You know, that's not, I'm pretty good at starting stuff. I'm not the best at uh, navigating big existing things. I, I would say that you're an outdoor cat, not an indoor cat. <laughs> that's absolutely true, man. And if you call me a cat again, I'm going to reach to the screen and choke the life out of you. I am a Respect. dog, not a cat. <laughs> I hate cats. I'm actually allergic to cats. I live on a ranch now and we don't even have cat, cats on the ranch. Like we don't have single barn cats. cats. Not a single barn cat. We have four dogs, cows, 
uh, uh, chickens, lambs, no cats. I that's how much I hate cats. There are right. wild cats out here though. Like I see cats all the time around, uh, and like I don't, I, I, I made a concession to my daughter who loves cats. I will not kill any cats. That's, <laughs> that's, that's big of you. She made me promise, Daddy, don't shoot the cats. I'm like, I won't shoot the cats. Um, uh, but yeah. So so anyway, so the company got to it's kind of great. It's like, it's an amazing stage and, and got to a size that it's still growing. I mean, well into the eight figures in revenue and doing amazing. And I was just like, eh, it's not my thing anymore. So I'm going to like, let the people who really run it and uh, let them do their thing. And I'm going to go do my next thing, which right now I'll tell you, I hope this isn't too anticlimactic. I cannot tell you for sure what it is only because I just don't know. Right. Like uh, my wife is pregnant with baby four. It's like, do almost any day now like uh if she i have my phone here only because if she calls i may have to i may have to close it down right away and go. uh probably not though because it's like a week and a half or so out and uh i made a promise to her um uh no new projects until at least mid-april at the earliest right okay um so i can talk to anybody plan a little bit, whatever, but I don't start anything new until she's fully recovered from the baby and she's like ready to go and whatever. Um, so like I've got, you know, four or five months or so of, um, of free space. The only thing I know I'm doing, and this isn't really a new project is, um, I really want to get my, my next memoir finished this year. Other than that, man, I don't know. Uh, like, there's a lot of things coming. Like, I'm writing a lot more. I'm doing a lot of stuff. Like, I'm we're on a ranch. Obviously, building a ranch is a lot of work. But no companies, no specific projects, nothing yet. Well, I want to maybe talk a little bit about the ranch, maybe as an entree to to why I reached out to to get you back on, and and talk a little bit about the thinking behind that specific choice. Because I heard you on the Doomer Optimism podcast. I saw the the post that you wrote. And, you know, it was highly resonant with me because I have a, a couple of good friends, one in particular, who is really on that kind of extreme end, end of the spectrum of, you know, let's step back, let's lean out, let's kind of disengage from a lot of the things that I'm seeing in, in I don't know if you want to call it popular culture or, or the kind of centers of civilization, for lack of a better word, and move out to the countryside and get away from it all. But you have, you have, I would say, a, a pretty specific opinion on where things are going, and I kind of wanted to unpack that with you. So I don't know yeah. if you have a, a natural jumping off point or a, a light bulb moment, or I, I have kind of five um, pillars of, of doomer optimism that I've kind of looked into that we could build off of. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you how. <clears throat> I mean, look, if you've been paying attention for the last two years and you don't think some really weird shit's going on. And that at a minimum, you need to be way more prepared for a world of uncertainty. Just at a minimum, that. If you don't think that, then probably turn this podcast off because uh, either you're an idiot, you don't pay attention to anything, which some people are idiots or don't pay attention. Or if you have been paying attention and you don't think that, probably you're not going to make it, man. Like, and good luck to you. But like, in short, my entire worldview has fundamentally shifted uh, on many things over the past two years. And I, like, I, the way I like to put it, man, is I thought I really understood how the world worked in, in January of 2020, 
like, yeah, you know, like, I don't know everything, of course, but I have a pretty good handle on the way the world works. By July 2020, I realized, wait, I don't might not know anything. <laughs> By January 2021, I was like, holy shit. Like, things are way different than I thought. And then by mid of 2021, I was like, okay, I need to start getting ready because um, chaos is coming at a minimum, right? And like, I think the best case scenario for the next decade is a whole lot more of what we've seen for the last two years, which means like intense pockets of violence, right? Especially localized violence, right? Um uh, supply chain, if you don't think supply chain interruptions are here to stay, then you're a fucking fool. Um, or you aren't paying attention. Uh, 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 all kinds of political upheaval, um, all kinds of, uh, tribalism, all kinds of, uh, you know, bro. I honestly, I think basically all the structures of the 20th century, the institutions are all corrupted and breaking. And so what happens in the break and how does that play out, right? The best case scenario is we get another decade just like we've had the last two years. I think that's the best case scenario as we transition to something else in a lot of different ways. The worst case scenario is um, horrible, really bad. Like uh, 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 the odds of this, I think, are very low. But um, I think three years ago, if someone had been telling me there's a 5% chance of total societal breakdown and an anarchy type situation. I've been like, what the hell are you talking about? Now I'm like, yeah, 5% sounds not uh, unlikely at all. Right. And so like um, the, 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 there's a movement that kind of, I, I didn't come up with this term or uh, the movement, but there are a bunch of people who kind of saw this and they, they started calling themselves doomer optimists. Right. And the idea is, you know, cause there's all there's a long history of gloom and doom people. The world's going to end, whatever. And these people are not like that. They're like, no, 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 no. Like we're going through like all history, right? You're go every empire falls eventually. Every period ends. Things always transition, and those transitions are usually pretty rough. This one looks like it's going to be a really rough one. Uh, and so they're like, the the doom is like things are probably going to get real hard, or hard, some level of hard but optimistic in that if we do our work, we can come out okay the other side, right? Which I loved. I'm like, yeah, totally. Like that totally describes how I am. So I wrote a big piece about it, like a few thousand words, put it on my website and it blew up. <laughs> Dude, it's gotten, I think, over a million uniques in the past month, which is wow. a lot. Yeah. And, and even for someone like you with the success that, that you've accrued, I want to, I want to, um, I think you really articulate something important. There's the folks that, for whatever reason, the antenna is up now and they realize they need to be more prepared, but maybe they're not all the way to the extremity of someone who's like wearing the Doomer Optimist badge and, and has has really thought through all these things. So I wanted to itemize some of those and then you can just kind of reflect back to me. Eh, I don't know so much about that one or that actually yeah. really is one, of course. one that concerns you. So. We've got an 80-year uh, macro debt cycle, and this kind of just happens over the course of financial markets. Debt builds up yep. in the system. It has to yep. blow out, but that's tough on yep. businesses. You've yep. got Moore's Law and the exponential nature of technology in that yep. computing power, artificial intelligence, the capacity for people to be displaced by a, a game-changing technology. You've got 
the literal explicit strategy of the metaverse and technology companies that are, you know, <laughs> you can live in a live in a pod, eat some bugs, and have a grand old time. Uh-huh. There is climate and the associated potential for, uh, you know, natural disasters or, or changing environments, uh-huh. population movement. There's creeping authoritarianism in the form of governments surveilling their people. Yeah, and it's not creeping; it's explicit. Like Australia is a, a, a tyrannical failed state right now. Like this, uh, yeah. that's not creeping, dude. It's creeping in America. In Marching. Australia, they can't leave their houses. So, like, yes. it's not creeping. Right? Like, it, it, it's here. Um, agreed. But uh, yes. You've got uh, hyper-partisanship, which is something that uh, past guest Ben Hunt has covered thoroughly at Epsilon Theory, which is this notion that you used to have these kind of, if there was those that identified as being the right and the left, they were these mounds that kind of still had plenty of overlapping and, and a relative. Yeah, that's um, all gone. Right. Tact yeah, to center. That's gone. That's gone. Yeah. They're pulled apart. And then finally, part of the supply chain stuff is really tied to an overall geopolitical system in which the seas used to be kept safe by the world's police. And it was a, a kind of free trade globalization for all environment. And in many ways, that's unwinding because I, of, I, of I, different I don't pressures. think that's the supply chain is, issue, but that may be unwinding. Maybe, maybe not. That's not the supply chain issue. Okay. A, the mean, supply chain issue is not piracy because the, the U.S. Navy isn't protecting supply chains. That's nonsense. Okay. That's, just not, that's not even in the realm of, of the, the issue. Now, now will, will, US, will the U.S. global police power decrease? Yeah. I mean, God knows, man. With, with a, a, a legitimate dementia patient as president, and looking at the way we've handled Afghanistan and are handling Russia, yeah, of course. But that's very different than the supply chain issue. I, I guess I didn't fully articulate that. But what I was saying more is we were in an environment of just kind of uh, free trade over everything else. And so therefore, all the goods were going to go everywhere. But now mm-hmm. it's, hey, these are the semiconductors that the entire globe needs. And I'm not so cool sharing them. When you have uh, just-in-time, an entire economy built on just-in-time supply chains and things start breaking, then uh, there's not any slack built in. It's a rope that's already completely tight and can't stretch anymore. And it stretches. What happens? It breaks. Like So that's absolutely the case. I actually don't think even that is the issue of supply chains. Um, Okay, interesting. I, 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 I got to be honest. So, I'm not a supply chain expert. I li- I know a couple, um, who are, and even those people are like, we can't really. They're like, it's so. They're like, there's weird shit going on that we can't figure out. None of this makes sense, which tells me there's nefarious stuff going on. But what, well, dude? I don't. I, beyond that, I don't know, man. Because I'm like, beyond that, it just sounds like a conspiracy theory. Except two years ago, I'd be like, oh, well, that's nonsense. Now I'm like, well, yeah, hell, who knows? Who knows, right? Maybe. Who knows? So it but sounds the, like the supply the, chain is a big part. What we do part. know, man, what we do yeah. know, go to any store and tell me how full those shelves are. You're lucky if you find a store that's three quarters full. So it sounds like that's one of the big ones because obviously, like, like we're talking about simple stuff here. If people can't get the food, the meat, the whatever it is that they need, then that is a a precursor to anxiety, instability, insecurity. Are there other elements of those? I, I kind of itemized that stuff through the doomer optimism mm-hmm. lens. Like, was there stuff no, you, that's particularly you added, resonant to you? You added a bunch of stuff on that. I didn't have in the in the article, but yeah, like there's all kinds of things converging. 
all there's a lot of other different historical cycles as well. The empire cycle uh, are all coming. I, I don't know how much faith or weight to put on those. It's very interesting that they're all coming together. I don't know. Like that's, I'm not going to pretend like that's my field of expertise. And the weird thing is I honestly, in a weird way, don't, I don't care. It doesn't actually matter. The, the, one of the major points I made in the, in the piece was I don't need to know exactly what's going on or who's behind it or what their motives are to know something's going on and I need to get ready. Um, and that affects your the, posture like, and your preparation. Totally, man. Like, I'm not going to pretend like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what's going on with Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. No. I mean, I can tell you what they say explicitly and publicly, um, which seems like literal James Bond villain crazy shit. But, like, if you just look around, man, it's just like, oh, wow, okay. Like, it, things have fundamentally shifted in America at a minimum and, and of course the rest of the world. But, uh, and so it's like, all right, I mean, I think in 10 years, man, we're going to look back at history. People will look back and they're going to be like, man, how did they not see this coming after the first two years, 2019, if you were talking about this coming, you were still in Alex Jones world, right? Which is so funny, man. He he's such a kook. Half of what he says is total nonsense, and the other half is like, "Fuck!" He was ten years ahead of everyone. Like he's been barking up the Epstein tree for fifteen years, and and before I was like, "Yeah, he might be right. I don't know. Like I wouldn't put anything past uh you know governments." And now I'm like, "How the hell did he know all this? He's exactly right. <laughs> like, he's, like of course, right? And like and like it's brazen now. Oh, we're we're gonna break the cameras." <laughs> At Rikers and kill the fucking dude, and then, and then put his mistress to a show trial where no one's allowed in the, in the court, and then seal the records in America. <laughs> it's so. If I wrote that in a movie three years ago, everyone would have called me an idiot and said that could never happen, and I would have agreed, and it just happened. <laughs> So I mean, think about that for a minute, man. Think about that in America, it's bananas. And 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 you like like you said, Alex Jones completely right on some things, completely kooky on some others. And then you're trying to figure out in as a social being, and and to me, you're all, you're someone who's always had a pretty high comfort in just kind of calling it like you see it, whether or not yep. you're you're completely dead on. But, yep. you know, how do you have that conversation socially with people adjacent to you? And more, I don't actually, care. I don't. Uh, no, I mean, seriously, like, look, most, okay, the, you actually bring up a really good point. Uh, the point yeah. I was making, the implied point of what I was making about Alex Jones is that most people's sense making methods and procedures have f- totally broken, right? If you, if you did quote the right things 30, 40 years ago, shit went great. Even 10 years ago, if you did the right things, you can, you can make it work. Now, if you do the right things, it's a counter indicator. You're not going to fucking make it. Like it's really bad. If you're getting your information 
from honestly any ideological source, you're not just wrong. It's actively harmful. You're the useful idiot. Yeah. And the way in a safe, abundant world, it's really easy for ideas and ideologies to get far away from reality. We are, we are rapidly leaving a safe, abundant world. And so the rubber's about to meet the road with a lot of people, right? And so like I, most people though, the vast majority of humans, it's why so many people have gone COVID crazy because they don't look at reality and make decisions. Almost no one does that. Almost no one, what, I, what most people call thinking for themselves. Almost no one does it. Almost everyone forms their opinions either around a social, a social consensus around the group that they believe they belong in or by looking to who they consider their idols or their betters or both, right? Like literally it is, I mean, I mean, we can go down the rabbit hole of mimetic theory if you want as a way to explain it. I've never been, a, a, a lot of people like to use that as a way to understand this. It's never been my favorite. I mean, French philosophy basically just leads you to being French, which is not really where I want to go. But um, uh, uh, most people don't even begin to know how to think for themselves. They don't even know what that means. And so all I'm willing to do is think for myself at least a lot. You know, I, I don't know whether it's 10% or 50% or 80%. I'm not sure. But it's way more than most. And so it's like the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, man. And so here I am. Like, uh, and I'm not the only one. There's plenty of people. Um, uh, but I like uh, what I'm pretty good at is doing both, right? Like I can look at the people who watch CNN and listen to NPR and their entire reality is believing that. And I can actually model their mind and say, okay, here's what they're thinking. Here's why they're thinking that. Um, like I can be like, it's, it's, mental illness uh, in a sense, but I can get it. And then I can look at the Alex Jones types, which honestly, they're mirror images of each other. They're just looking to different groups for their cues, right? Um, uh, and like, okay, I get them. And then uh, like, can say, oh, well, hold on. Let me look at this and see what I think. And let me talk to people I know who are boots on the ground with this subject or that subject or that subject. I, and I, it's that simple for me, man. Like, and it is, there is a price you pay for this. And the price you pay is um, status. Like if I wanted to be, if I wanted to be Tim Ferriss or someone like, let's just take him as an example, right? Then, yeah, man, I would never talk about this stuff publicly. I would never be early on this stuff, right? Because when I'm usually on this stuff, it's usually not high status, right? Like, I mean, I was in on paleo when people thought that shit was crazy. I was in MMA when people thought that was thuggish street fighting. I was in on psychedelics when people thought you were doing drugs with your friends. Um, uh, and now a lot of people think this is crazy, although what's funny is way less than anything else. Like, I, 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 the reaction was probably 90%. Holy fuck, thank you for articulating what I was feeling but not able to articulate. And 10% fuck you, you're crazy or whatever. But I actually think mainly because the reality bubbles have gotten so, well, no, because I, I know people all across the spectrum, man. I'm like one of those weirdos that I don't really, 
I don't exist in any sort of specific bubble. I don't, there's no ideology I follow. There's no group that I consider myself a part of. The only group I'm a part of is my family. You know, like we're, 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 we're in this together. Everyone else, like I got friends and community, but like, you know, there's not like a mimetic group I'm a part of, like Christians or Bitcoiners or whatever. Right. And I'm not shitting on any of them. I'm just saying like, I'm just not, I might agree with a lot of what Bitcoiners say, but I'm never going to be like, I'm a Bitcoiner because as soon as you have an ideology, then you stop thinking you've now assigned your thoughts and your beliefs about something to a group. I will never do that. That is just not, it's antithetical to my, to the core of my being. And really, you know, people often, we talk, we do a lot of finance interviews on this show. You know, the classic thing in investing is you want to diversify because that like protects you or hedges you. And really what you're articulating is diversifying your inputs from whether it's a, a media or social standpoint so that no, you man, it's can deeper have than that. that. No, it's de- you're right. That's a good point. It's way deeper than that. Because, man, I I can take in info all across the spectrum and still not be able to discern what's accurate and what's not. True. Because what's accurate is not the average of what I take in across the spectrum. That's not fucking true. It's just not. The, the average of what you would have taken in on the spectrum about COVID in May of 2020 was way wrong. Who was right in May of 2020? There weren't many people, and and they weren't uh, none of they were they coalesced under an ideology, a quasi uh, anti mainstream COVID tyranny ideology now. But in May of 2020, they were all over the fucking place. There was nothing uniting them except their desire to speak truth, right? And that sort of cur- that takes real courage to do that anywhere in any society and uh that was one of the craziest things man uh like it's funny you brought up ben hunt man as smart as that dude is he bought into all the covid bullshit he bought it hook line and sinker i think he still bought it i'm not sure like i haven't i I don't want to speak but i mean for like the last when i finally unsubscribed from his list i'm like dude i've never seen such motivated reasoning from someone so smart turns out fuck dude so many smart people people i thought were smart and thought i actually thought my perception was they really did think for themselves like they went to original uh, primary sources and read it and made their own opinion sam harris sam harris pride himself on his rationality he's a fucking lunatic now like he's truly captured meant like the dude has, he's got maybe the worst Trump derangement syndrome I've ever seen. Like, it's, don't get me wrong, I can't stand really Trump either, man, like, in certain ways. But, like, he lost his mind, Sam Harris did. It was crazy to watch, man. So, like, uh, it's not just a, an average. It's, I, 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 I go to primary sources as much as possible, and I make up my own mind based on my own experience. Psychedelics are a great example. You can read all you want about psychedelics. Listen to whoever you want. Doesn't mean shit. It's like a virgin talking about sex. Until you take the journey, right? Until you do the therapy, you don't have an opinion that matters. You don't have any information. 
there's nothing you have no contribution because you have no experience of it right and and that is the one thing i think i've always been willing to do is get in and actually have my own experience and judge and discern what I believe the truth is based on my own experience and not filtered through anyone else. That's the key thing. Does that make sense? I like I kind of took a long journey to answer that. Sorry about that. But. No, it's 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 important background because I, I didn't once again, I didn't perfectly articulate the point that I was making, but in terms of going to places where the information was at least higher signal than noise. Yeah. It's having a wide arrangement of places to query that as opposed to, well, this is my preferred news beacon. And so therefore, directionally, word is gospel. That, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. more what I was saying. But I, I am in agreement with you that uh, if you're, you know, if, if Sam Harris was your single voice of truth or Ben Hunt was your single source of truth of birth versus the old school news channels, that's still... A risky proposition, um, but I want to I want to kind of move forward here and build off of okay, knowing that you take this first principles approach, knowing that like I can think of uh, more than a decade ago, uh, actually this is a decade and a half ago, my old Latin teacher who was very familiar with the fall of the Roman Republic because he taught Latin, he was doing some substantial prepping at that point in time and had you know bags of rice and all that kind of stuff in his background uh, in his backyard, that isn't uh, maybe the, the the cleanest path to to take this, I don't know if you'd call it a defensive posture or an anti-fragile posture or, or how you even think about it in terms of an umbrella philosophy. Okay, that's a great point. So the thing that, as soon as I heard Doomer Optimism, I saw the posture, it's a great term, of the people uh, espousing it. I knew at least as a wide umbrella, it encompassed my approach to this, right? Because the old approach to preparation is is essentially the Cold War approach, right? Like like the oh, the, the, the the prepper approach that arose out of the Cold War was one of how do we survive after an apocalypse, right? Because, and these I get the assumption, right? If if there's thermonuclear war between America and Russia. Man, ain't no broken supply chains for a few months. Shit's gone, right? Like it's it. That's it. Like the civilization we understood is now gone, and there's ashes and rubble. And so, what can you salvage out of that as a life? And so, that was the underlying philosophy of prepping. Always came out of that, right? And um, I'll be honest, man that that never made sense to me. Like I, I'm 46. I grew up I, like. I, I I am old enough to remember duck and cover drills in elementary school. Like literally getting under your fucking desk. Like that's going to save us from a nuclear bomb. Like what kind of nonsense is this? But, um, and so I remember thinking, even at that age, like why the fuck would we prepare for this? If a nuclear bomb hits, the fuck are we going to, like if I'm lucky enough to not get, you know, the, the Russians have enough bombs to cover America like nine times over or some crazy, I'm like, what? Even if they only get a ninth of them out, like we're all kind of fucked, right? Like, why? What are we storing up a couple cans of beans for? Like, how does this make any sense? Made no sense to me, even when I was like eight. It's not like I was some genius. I'm just like, this doesn't make sense. And so, th- that philosophy has always been broken to me. What I think, I don't think the world's about to end, not in any way. 
not in any way, shape, or form, right? Yeah, of course. There's always this you know, a fucking comet can hit America, the world, or well, okay, sure, great. But like the 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 odds of these vanishingly small things uh, aside, we're just about to go through some turbulence and some chaos, and I have no idea how bad it's going to be. But we know it's coming because we just went through the beginning of it, right? This is the rainstorm that comes in before the hurricane hits. Uh, like, uh, uh, so we know it's coming. Uh, at least if you're not a fool, you know it's coming. Anyway, so, so, but I, I'm 46. I expect to live into my at least 80s, ideally 90s, right? Well, that means the world's not ending. And that means, you know, we're not going to turn into fucking savages or whatever, right? And so I'm trying to prepare, but not also, I don't want to like hunker down and just endure for a couple of years and hope things get better. I The, the whole point of Doomer Optimism is not just how do you get through chaos? How do you get through and actually build a better life on the, uh, at least on the other side, if not immediately? And if you go look at my article. A lot of people were a little bit weirded out by it until they read the end. The end, I said, what if I'm wrong, right? And I, listen, I recognize that it is entirely, of course, it's within the realm of plaus, uh, plausibility that I have totally misread everything and I'm just wrong and shit course corrects and we're fine for another 20 years, right? That's totally possible. Uh, absolutely. I don't think it's likely at all, but it's totally possible. Well, so so what's going to happen? Well, for me, well, I'm on a beautiful, stunning ranch in an amazing part of Texas. My kids now live in this idyllic environment. Uh, I'm extremely resilient and self-sufficient. We now are going to eat all the meat. All the meat our family eats, not counting restaurants or whatever, it is going to come off of our land, right? Like my kids are going to know how to grow things. They're going to know how to raise animals. They're going to, um, they, they have fucking three acres of play place back here. Acres of forest they can play in. Like my kids have like the childhood you dream of. I, I get this amazing life. Okay. So I'll take that. You know, like, it's like, even if I'm wrong about what's happening in the world, I'm going to create a better life for myself. And what what COVID helped me see, I didn't actually, you know, I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought this up because uh, I did get, you know, actually, the, I shouldn't, the number one response I got was, you know, thank you for articulating the number, not number two was not you're crazy. Number two was what's the optimism in doom or optimism, right? Because I wasn't super clear about it. So let me articulate it right now. It's kind of what I'm, I'm articulating. The optimism is that man, I don't know about you, but my life pre-COVID was so shitty and I had no idea, right? Like the first month of COVID was really rough for a ton of reasons. But then by mid-April, I was like kind of in a really good space. And by May, like shit was, my wife and I were a little weirded out because things were so great. And I realized, you know, everyone says they love their family. I realized I actually really like my family. And I like spending all of my time with them and going on long walks with them every day and playing with my kids every single day for hours. And like, 
I remember asking myself, what the fuck was I doing before? Right? Like, I mean, I can look at my calendar and know, but like, what the hell was I doing? And meaning like, almost like, this is what you say you want, but you weren't doing this before. And now you are. And it was like kind of amazing. And then my wife and I realized like, we always talk about, we want to be on land and we want this and we want that. And like, you know, what, what are we waiting for? And so like, part of it is, yeah, preparation and being resilient. And uh, man, I think if you live in the city the next decade, you're going to be in real trouble in a lot of ways. But even if I'm wrong, I want to raise my kids in this amazing, idyllic nature atmosphere. And I want to live in it. And I want to go for walks every day with my kids in the fields and pet our sheep because that's fucking awesome. Right? Now, if I have to end up, you know, uh, putting up machine gun turrets to to protect the, the, the ranch, okay, that's not as awesome. Like that's kind of the doomer part, right? I'm not like super excited if that has to happen, but like uh, uh, I've created this amazing life that I've always wanted and dreamed of, and just ha- wasn't doing before. And it's not opting out of civilization, man. We have electricity, we have Wi-Fi. I'm on a podcast with you. I mean, I'm not doing this with smoke signals, right? Like, but the the optimate now. Let, let me tell you what's. I know all my neighbors. So I, I lived in Barton Creek in Austin, which is like a super exclusive, rich person, fancy, uh, bullshit suburb. You know, multi-million dollar houses, like Aubrey Marcus and my fucking neighbor, all the, you know, a bunch of other state senators and, you know, whatever. Right? A bunch of bullshit. I didn't know hardly any of them. And the ones I did know, with the exception of one or two, were fucking jackass. <laughs> I couldn't stand them. Come out here, really, almost at random. We have amazing neighbors, coolest fucking people. And about 10 of my friends, two or three already lived out. I live in Dripping Springs, Texas, which is about 45 minutes or an hour outside Austin. Um, Two or three of my friends already kind of lived in the area. About six more have moved here. So now we have this incredible community of like-minded people. We started our own school for our kids and not homeschooling. Like us and 50 other families started a school. We just bought land for it. So my my kids go to a school that has a farm on it. You know, like this is amazing, dude. It's amazing. And so like it's about doomer optimism is about recognizing, oh shit, things may get really hard. We need to get ready. But also let's take this opportunity to build the life we want. Um and uh the life that we hadn't before. You know, like I I can get my well, I, uh, I get my chickens eggs from my neighbors, right? I get whatever. Like I, we have this incredible community out here and we've just started. We've only been here three months, man. Like this is like, I'm not going to imagine spending the rest of my life here and being pretty happy. I'm happy for you. That sounds amazing. But I, I think that there's, I just want to hone in on like the timeless principles there of not only, you know, family my, my wife and i just had our our first here at the end of last year oh nice and, excellent and uh you know it, it is immensely clarifying in terms of whatever the old priority list was like you said it has a a, a stunningly clarifying effect um and, and whatever your catalyst is for having that it is um something i recommend everyone but really like what you're talking about is the sense of community having space having sovereignty over 
the food you're putting in your belly and your family's belly, the way you spend your time, all of these different things. The reason that they're timeless virtues and principles is because they are fundamentally anti-fragile. So if chaos is coming and you don't want to be shattered glass after that chaos rolls through, then a, a posture like that is not only going to you know be defensive and you know protect the things that are uh, most important to you, likely, but also there's a reason that people have been at ease in that type of environment through time immemorial because of that inherently uh, kind of positive um, effect. That, that's a great summary, truly. Like um, what, what we've done at its core, what Doomer Optimism is about is two things that seem opposite, but they are not sovereignty and community. And, and I actually think that they are deeply tied together, that the best communities are made up of sovereign individuals. Sovereign does not mean, you know, a, a man is an island. It doesn't mean you live without anyone else. No, of course not. Humans are network beings. It's not how we work. But it does mean that you are responsible for yourself and that you answer to yourself and that you take responsibility for what is yours. And you, and you also uh, uh, voluntarily take on other responsibilities, that you, you fulfill the responsibilities you voluntarily take on, you know? And uh, uh, I, I don't think those two things are uh, contradictions at all. And if there are two things that I would say are the opposite of so much of the consumerist, technocratic, modern world, it would be sovereignty and community, right? Like sovereignty and individual, individuality. A lot of people think sovereignty and individuality are the same. They're not. I think they're actually very different and in a lot of ways, which I don't think I actually understood that really until the last couple of years. They felt freedom, sovereignty, individuality. I would have put all those together in a category. That's I think that's, now I can clearly see that that's not accurate. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I, that, that, that's actually a really good summary. Sovereignty and community be sovereign in all things, but at the same time, build the community that, that you both want to be a part of and contribute to, which is what we are doing. Beautiful. I don't want to take too much more of your time, but in the spirit of that kind of, uh, note that you just touched on the sovereignty versus individuality thing, um, there's a, a pretty long, but intense documentary called the century of the self, uh, oh yeah, about, no, I know and, that very well, man. I know Bernays, the history of Bernays, super well. It's one of the reasons it was pretty easy for me to see this once I saw it. I was not. There are people who like saw it in like March immediately, like this is a con. I'm like, well, hold on, really? Now it took me until April to kind of hold, and then by May I was like, oh, they're totally right. Absolutely, man. I know Bernays well. Like, yeah, uh, that that dude. Was, you, he he pulled the curtain back. In a lot of ways. If if you want to delineate the two, like the 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 notion of needing to sell you that that notion of individuality in order yeah. to kind of open the gateway to other stuff, I think that's that's definitely edifying. But uh, Tucker, this has been fantastic. I really enjoyed um, talking with you. I really enjoyed the the blog post where you summarized everything. Um, you you said you are working on the memoir. Any any other digital coordinates that you want to point people towards if they want to follow along with what you're doing? TuckerMax.com. It's all there. Beautiful. And then um, in terms of perhaps an actionable next step, you've inspired, you, you, you've roused something in a listener. 
what's something you know kind of actionable or tangible you would want to challenge someone to do um, with this newfound energy? I, I don't challenge anyone. People are going to do what they want to do. Truly, like I, I, I don't care. If I wish someone the best, um, uh, but I don't care. Uh, that's the thing with sovereignty is that your decisions do not, my decisions don't necessitate you agreeing or following and vice versa. Now, if someone were to say, let me reframe the question. If someone were to say, hey, I, I love what you're saying. How can I learn more? Right, because I'm not really the expert on on doomer optimism preparation. I'm learning this. Like I'm maybe six months ahead of someone who knows nothing, right, or a year at best. And uh, where would I learn more? Um, so it, just go to tuckermax.com. I have actual a reading list up. It doesn't have much on it. It has what I think are the two most important books, though, to start with, at least for me. One of them's by uh, this guy James uh, Rawls. His stuff is a little bit old school preppery. Um, so it, like his philosophy is still like kind of based out of cold war surviving an apocalypse, but the logistics that he goes through are absolutely rock solid top notch. And then the, the, the guy who I think gets the defensive side of doomer optimism really well, which I think where most people don't get it is, uh, this guy, Clay Martin, he's a former green beret. His book, Prairie Fire is the one that one of the ones that really, I, again, I thought I was awake even post COVID. And then I read his book. I'm like, oh man, I wasn't even as awake as I thought. And so, like, those are those are the two books where I'd start, and then go from there. I, I have a good friend, Mike, who he says that when you read a certain book, it's like someone, you know, like in the little basement, they have the little like drawstring, like light bulb that that like the little light bulb comes on. He says it's like someone did that in like a corner of your brain or like a corner of, of knowledge that you didn't have. And reading Prairie Fire was kind of like that. I, I had the same experience. I was like, oh. I didn't even see that room over there and that needs to really be um, attended to. There you go. Beautiful. Um, Tucker, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the end of my conversation with Tucker. If you enjoyed it, I think you would also enjoy our past interviews with Ben Hunt, who we referenced in the interview, and with Jeff Booth. Conversation with Ben was recorded right around the beginning of COVID, and the conversation with Jeff Booth is about the impact of technology, its deflationary effects, and the ramifications for the economy. Check those out, and we'll catch you in next week's episode. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.